see a lot of coming and going because we've been sitting a long time this way, longer than usual because we started to sit later than usual. That's all right. I always need a little time to sit after that. I think the best thing we do together is come to the place where we, we can really offer goodwill to other people that come so naturally from a place of people of my own mind settle down. I sometimes think, well, if we could, we could just go on for a long time and mention everybody that we knew in every kind of a circumstance. It occurred to me this morning, you know, as we were sitting and saying, you know, di mentioning different situations. It always does about the vast array of challenges that people face in this world, you know, the really the, the correctness of the Buddha's insight about life being continually challenging because of this or that different challenge of the moment. I think it's an incorrect um, uh, translation of the First Noble Truth that's uh, often said as uh, life is suffering, but not every minute of it is suffering. You know, you know there are some quite lovely and exalted moments. I, th I think a better translation of that word means uh, life is subject to change. And... Uh, we're all the time having to keep, keep our balance in shifting circumstances. We want X, but it, we get Y. <coughs> Everybody wants to feel comfortable. I was also thinking as we, uh, as we sit, first of all, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's part of the sequelae of sitting quietly for a while is my own mind, whatever much I do with it, as long as I'm not thinking and planning and worrying, if I sit, if I feel my breath, if I just feel myself here amongst friends, it settles down. And then it really thinks about other people other than myself and my stuff. And I was thinking about how blessing is such an antidote to uh, all of the affliction, emotional afflictions that come up in the mind, that somehow think kindness is pleasant. You know, it's like uh, we think, uh, and I, I hope that our intentions on behalf of other people somehow, who knows how, make a difference in the world. But they make such a difference in me that they, they it's like a lifeline into my own contracted self that's imploded because it's worried about this or that or it can't deal with this or that. It's unhappy about this or that. If I think about other people, it's like I rescue myself from the constriction of my own you know, narrowed mind. You know, that, that, that people say so-and-so is narrow-minded. We usually mean that they're, you know... They have prejudices of one kind or another. It's hard for them to see things in a new view. I, I feel myself narrow-minded when I can't escape from it, my own mind. <laughs> when I'm held captive by my own little stories going around, this isn't going to work, that isn't going to work, what about this, what about that, she shouldn't have said, if she had only been nicer to me, if this, that, or the other. But you know, when I forget myself and I start thinking about other people, I feel much better. I think we all do. So normally, in between the time that we've been sitting and whatever I did or didn't prepare, <laughs> which is or isn't relevant anymore, we have class uh, uh, announcements. First of all, where is Joe? She's still not back. I'll tell you afterwards. She all right? Yeah. Okay. So the rest of the story. Okay. Um, you get connected to people. You know who's not in the room, you know. Um, so we do have announcements of things coming up. want to announce again 
that Donald and I are doing a three-day Metta retreat at the end of June. I think it's the 23rd to the 27th, which will be very sweet because it's limited in size to 50 or 60 people, so it won't be vast. And it's limited in days to three nights here. So if you haven't been on retreat ever, how many people have never been up in our retreat center and slept over? It's really lovely. It's lovely. And three days is not such a big commitment to being away. And uh, so I really invite you to think about it. It's a nice, it'll be a summer solstice present to yourself if you do that. And I won't be here next week, but I will be here the week after and the week after. And Cliff Saren came this morning. Come up and tell your story, Cliff. My friend Cliff is, uh, okay, is it correct to say you're a neurobiologist? Neuroscientist. Neuroscientist. Who lives in Corte Madera, so is a neighbor of ours. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for making some space and inviting me up here. What a lovely group you are. I've never been to one of these morning classes. It's, just, it's great. This is wonderful. This is, this is the nearest we have to a church service. <laughs> it happens every I was sitting and I was thinking, is it the meditation or the sangha? Is it the sangha or the meditation? <laughs> Hearing all your stories, a it's and like... A and B. Yeah. And this group has been going on for 20 years, pretty much. And it happens like in church. The Sabbath is always the Sabbath. That's on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's also on Wednesday. Right. Wednesday happens whether or not I'm here. There's somebody here. And it's lovely to know that somewhere in Marin, every Wednesday morning from 9 to 11, you can go and sit with people who are inclining their minds to peace. So well, that's what this group. Who's been here the whole time? Susan's been here pretty much from the beginning. Mijo's been here forever. Yeah. Just great. I've heard wonderful things over the years yeah. when I'm usually running around. So um, what I'd like to talk briefly about today is that I'm involved in a, a series of experiments and studies uh, at UC Davis with a very large number of colleagues under the rubric of something maybe you've heard of called the Shamata Project, which is a, a multidisciplinary uh, investigation of the effects of uh, meditation on attention and emotion and a variety of factors and one of the we've been doing that for a number of years and publications are beginning to trickle out and one of the things we've been able to do is to do a related study uh, at Spirit Rock that uh, looked at uh, those folks you honored uh, up the hill. Um, one of the issues that's involved in, in this kind of work is to have like-minded folks to be uh, a different kind of comparison group so that we can look not just that uh, these people were meditating but maybe they were self-selected to be meditating and so their data is not really <coughs> relevant. Uh, we can't know what's the meditation from the inclination to meditate. So we want to compare, um, as Sylvia talked about, a uh, comparison or a control group, the same general community. And for all we know, we'll be looking at future yogis who uh, go up there in an, at another time. So this is a rather novel experiment um, because we were looking at a retreat environment with yogis in silence. How do you bring them to a laboratory without disturbing the retreat? And how do you assess them while still on retreat without jarring them? Well, one way to do that is to bring the entire laboratory and moss to Spirit Rock in the form of 25 laptop computers that run a series of tasks. And we did that. We were able to collect a study's worth of data in three hours by having people in the wonderful uh, dorm environment here put a black 
cardboard uh, element in the window, change their light bulb, set up a laptop from a box, and create their own laboratory in their own room here. And it could all be done wordlessly, because we made nice circles and arrows and pictures. So you could, in silence, come to your door, see a little box, got a laptop in it, tells you what to do, and then three hours later you pack it up and move on. Okay, so then what do we do in a community f to, to test people uh, in a con the same exact way? Well, through the graces of uh, Spirit Rock, um, we have found some dates that actually where the dorms are free and two dates where they can be one month apart. So we can actually have a simulacrum of participating in the same experiment. Not coming to Davis and coming to our lab and talking to us, but actually you can even visualize, I'm now on retreat for three hours, I'm a yogi, I'm picking this up. So what I'd like to do is um, give out a series of demographic questionnaires that have information um, about this experiment. And uh, for if you raise your hand and you're interested, in, ter in full disclosure of saying what, how I'd like to coerce the, the, the answer, if you raise your hand, it's a commitment to fill out the questionnaire and get it back to us. Right? Let me be straight. What will be involved is to come on a date certain here to a dorm. You'll get your computer. You'll set it up. People will be here. This study is run by two extraordinary graduate students that I'm fortunate to mentor at UC Davis, Tony Zanesco and Brandon King. And you will unpack a laptop computer, set it up, and do three hours of cognitive uh, and uh, emotional tasks, um, fill out some questionnaires, and I uh, can't tell you that the tasks will be scintillating. If you're training your mind to pay careful attention, we need to assess uh, attention and cognitive function. After the tasks end, um, you just uh, put the computer away, we pick it up, you'll have a certain amount of time to fill out these questionnaires, and then about a month later you'll do the same thing. That's, and for that, uh, we'll pay you $60 um, each time you come, $20 an hour. And, um, and that's sort of what it is. In the middle, you're not supposed to meditate or do something. You just have a life in between. You have a life in between. <laughs> um, if you go on retreat in between, the, then that actually becomes a scientific problem because now we're, your pre and post assessment is uh, is actually considered. Uh, you've you've engaged in an intervention, so to speak. Uh, one of the reasons why you have to do repeated testing is to see what's the effect of just doing the same test multiple times. Yeah. What are the dates? The dates, there are uh, a choice uh, that, is, that will be, um, you can contact, be contacted by, but I believe it's around April 6th to May 6th, and then a date in August I do not have. So if you're going on retreat between May and August... No, no, no. You can you have gone. You can during the beginning, during the month of April to the middle of May. If you went on retreat, then that could pose a problem. But you know, it, these are things related to attention and your emotional fluency and things like that. Yes. Well, it's, I'm, I'm not completely clear on the second set of dates, but the first set would be April 6th to about May, May 7th. It's a, you know, um, we would work with you, and if this takes several iterations to get a big enough population, we'll try to keep doing it. But I'd like to know if, is anybody interested? Oh, yes, is yes. Is it three solid hours of testing? Mm -hmm. That sounds a little grueling. Um, it, it, Can't you meditate in between or do something? You get a short breathers, you get short rests, there are multiple tasks. Um, I cannot tell you that it's not fatiguing. It is, a, it, 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 it is demanding. 
You can go to the toilet and be. You can you can take a, a bio break. You can, <laughs> as, as they say, um, and you do have a little rest in between tasks, but it's not like an hour long rest. It's like fifth, ten minute rest. So you get to sort of the pause that refreshes. Yeah. Does it matter sort of what level of meditation you're at? No. I mean, we will be asking you about your experience. So we want to, you know, we want to sort of pair people up with people who may be on retreat who have different levels of experience. But it's something we'll, if you fit within the demographic profile, we'll come back and, and schedule you if you're interested. We need to first get a population that's interested so that you can fill this information out and we can get back to you. But we'll, we'll yes? It's absolutely wonderful question. Do you think you would give the same results every day that you'd be tested? If I tested you today versus next week, would you, would you do the same? You have a bad day? You have a great day? Do you want to know if you yourself will get your results? And my answer is to this question. If we gave you your results on a particular day, would you think that that's truly representative of you? You have a kind of... For that day. And since we're different day to day, does it have special meaning? I mean, the short answer is no. (laughs) We won't, because if we did test you many, many times, we would have some statistical reliability about where you are. But we're not testing you many, many times. And the interpretation of your results shouldn't be done in terms of how you're doing you know, in life. I mean, you know, there, there are lots of things on the web you can download that'll see what your reaction time is, or your IQ, or your, you know, sustained attention, if you're curious about how you rank. But we want to disincentivize, you know, this kind of, your, the competition for where you think you should be versus where you might see, be. It would be very unrelaxing for me to think I was going to get my result. Yeah. I don't want to know my result. What if I'm having a bad day and I actually think I'm a good meditator? Yeah. <laughs> and and, well, and the, the other side of it is that that presupposes that our tests actually tap what's most important. And we don't know that to be true. We go from paradigms that are already established in psychology. And if you look at the literature you won't really find a lot of tasks that have been tuned to Vipassana meditators of a certain age. You know, this is just beginning. We're at the early phases. And we try to do things that may capture something essential about practice, but really they have to lock in with already existing research, and it's a larger conversation I'm happy to have with you about the statistical issues of the meaning of one person's data on a particular day versus the complexity of your whole life. Does that answer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not interested in ranking. I'm just more interested in, I'm just more curious. Well, then we have to get in, what does it all mean, right? Right, but it may not be so interesting when you actually see the technicality. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, yes? Uh, two things. We, at some point, we will have access to the whole... Right. The way it works is that our papers that uh, get published, um, we put up on our website, and um, you can see it when the world sees it. And then the other thing is, are you looking at a specific age demographic? Uh, 20 to 70. (laughs) Ah, That puts me out. (laughs) Well. (laughs) I don't feel good about that. Let's see, we could revise, that's where we began, okay? What are we we advertising here? Discrimination. Discrimination. No, that's all right, no, that's all right, Cliff. But I'm just interested, all of a sudden, you know what else, I'm too old? I can't, I can't, I can't give blood for, uh, for um, uh, bone marrow. Mm -hmm. I can't give blood for, uh, for blood banks. Uh, I also can't be on a jury anymore. 
So they don't want wisdom. They're they don't want wise the, elders well, on the jury. They're not so wise, and maybe we don't remember well or see well or something. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can't do after so, so that's the provisional, that's what our IRB is approved because it comes under the same rubric of what we did in the Shamana project. This is this is why this we would. So think about doing so, it. Who's going to so, do it? So Thanks. great. Is the commitment just to fill out the form? Just a commitment is to fill out the form, and express interest in doing it if we get back to you. In other words, fill, filling out the form with the intention if we select you. We may not be selected. Even you if may not be form. selected. But don't take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> you get to keep the form and you don't if you want the laptop. The laptop is an old laptop. No, because we actually need the exact same physical stimulus, we have to do it with... This is just so marvelous. Oh, this is all just demographics. It's all very basic demographics. Not to speak of $120. We're out. We're out. <laughs> we don't have to be good. <laughs> Michelle would like one. Cliff, there's somebody behind you, and Michelle over here. I'm honored. And I brought the 20. Are there any extras? Could I have these beautiful little. Um, here, this. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to give you the email address to, uh, no, I have copies. So who still needs it? So if you email the address on this flyer, you can get the questionnaire. Would you prefer that we fill it out online? Um, if you can fax it to us or mail it to us, it doesn't make any difference. Or if you want uh, it online and then you want to fill it out online. I mean, not online. Um, okay. It's an attachment email. That's, that's also, this is the prettier one. But please do email us for the questionnaire. There you go. There's another person behind you. I'm thrilled. <laughs> Um, we're looking for something on the order at this point of uh, 20 hours. Oh, no, you, I mean, our job is to simply say, open this, plug this in here, put the mouse in, turn it on. Then the rest is self-explanatory. It says click here, click there, yeah, click here, it's, click it's there. All, if you can click a mouse button, we can do this. Somebody else want one? You have, everybody got very good, very good, very good. It is fantastic. You're welcome. I am very proud of, of everybody here. You're welcome. Thank you for your support. Well, you know, Cliff, I thought people would, first of all, because we are all interested in this. And I, I seriously, when I said that before about um, generosity, uh I think that as a group, we have, we, we have done some very generous things in the past, apart from Spirit Rock and all of that. I think that there's a sense that we, that not a sense, a, a lived experience that generosity makes you feel good. You knock yourself out on behalf of somebody else, and it, it just makes you feel good. I was thinking also, because I don't remember the... Um, the citation on that, but now, for whatever we're worth, our, that we don't have to record. We don't have to record. It's already three thirty. It's already. I said everything worthwhile already. <laughs> Maybe, but I, what I had in mind and what I want to talk about was because we we met early. Okay, start again, Sylvia. We met earlier this morning, and some of us were here from eight to nine, which happens on the first. <laughs> 
second Wednesday of every month, whether it's me or Donald or somebody else, we come early, we sit for a little while, we, so to speak, take the precepts, which means that we say them or listen to them or chant them or something with them in order to remind ourselves that these are the, the guidelines of behavior that um, I think people of wisdom across traditions have figured out for themselves. These lead to peace of mind that, um, that they lead to peace of mind. If you think of the Buddha's path as sila samadhi panya, uh, the, the perfection of virtue, the perfection of mind discipline, and the perfection of wisdom, that mind discipline, when I first was introduced to the path, which was in the 1970s, uh, the community was younger, the community was more in a time of uh, testing about how much of the values of the previous generation they really felt aligned with their now newly adult values. Uh, many people had left, um, left the religions of their childhood, uh, finding them not spiritually um, uh, rewarding to them or meaningful to them. Uh, many people became interested in meditation as a, a, another way of expressing one's innate need, desire, I think, to discover peace of mind in this life, in this body, in this world, and having not found a path uh, that worked for them so far, became interested in Buddhism. They weren't particularly interested as a group in, uh, uh, in the path of Buddhism, which is the path of the development of virtue. It just was not a culturally wasn't culturally on the top of everybody's list. That what the people wanted was special uh, mind disciplines to be able to control their mind, to develop more peaceful mind states, more contented mind states. And I think that over the years, what's become clear, at least to me, is that peaceful and contented mind states really depend, um, as every spiritual tradition really knows, they depend on a certain level of rectitude, a certain level of uh, uh, morality, that morality calms the mind because the mind then has not, doesn't have to deal with, with uh, uh, guilt or remorse or humiliation or anguish about what, what we've done. And so the mind starts out uh, with what the Buddha would have called the bliss of blamelessness. Uh, uh, it's a great relief to the mind to feel I didn't do anything wrong. People who have had the experience of confession in different religious traditions have the feeling of, okay, now I start again. It's not that I forgot what I did, but I really made an amends. I see my life anew. That was the connection that I, 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 uh, I really was interested this week. It really, I can't remember exactly where I was that I read that the word repentance that often comes along with the regret, remorse, repent, uh, really means to see things in a new way. It's not so much to castigate oneself for one's mistakes, but to see things in a new way and really align your behavior differently is, is really the etymological meaning of repentance. And the new way in which uh, Buddhism would suggest that comes to us from paying attention, the new seeing is that this life situation is difficult for everybody. Everybody has these challenges of getting older, having to deal with this, having to deal with that, uh, the, the crises of each new developmental level. We've talked about in the it's sometimes in a more jocular way about um, um, my my friend uh, Beatrice having told me at 95 that she hoped they'd come teach in her in the assisted living that she'd moved into because she said I'm having trouble getting used to my new situation and uh, I rarely tell about my visit there it was great my visit there 
But I was, I've been thinking from then until now how that particular phrase, I'm having trouble getting used to my new situation, is the story of our lives from the beginning to the end. And what actually changes from the beginning to the end, and I really see it much more now as, uh, as, I've, you know, as I've passed 70. It was interesting to hear from Cliff. You can't, you can't be in the experiment. You can't give blood. You can't be a bone marrow transplant person. <laughs> Even if you match, apparently, or they won't they won't test you anymore to see if you match. I tried. Um, you can't. Um, you're not supposed to be called for jury duty anymore. It's like everybody has decided your parts aren't worthwhile, <laughs> and your mind isn't worthwhile, and maybe they're not so worthwhile. Maybe in fact, they're not the best at that point. You have less options, and I was been thinking about this because. Um, my friend Lou Richmond has just finished writing a book on aging as a spiritual path. And I was thinking it is like every other developmental challenge, a new thing to get used to. But when you have to get used to adolescence and you have to get used to your newly awakening sexuality, you have to get used to making a relationship with somebody else if you decide to be in a relational partnership, or you get used to whatever you're going to do in your life, for a lot, most of our lives, we have a lot of options. So the challenge is, oh, I have to do this, is supported by a kind of, if we're lucky, health and vigor and strength in the mind and body, and a number of options. So you can say, well, I tried this, it didn't work, but now I'll try that. Ah, better. Can, we can change our lifestyle, we can change our living habits, we can change our diet, we can change our 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 a job often. We can change our partners if that's the appropriate thing to do. There are a lot of changes that you can do while you still have the body and mind and strength and vigor to do it. And when you get older, he says, here's again a challenge. Okay, deal with this now. Deal with the arthritis. Deal with this. Deal with that. Deal with all these uh, now not so functioning well body parts and less options of how to deal. And, and less strength and vigor in the mind and body to deal with them. And uh, a, a time when the future doesn't seem so rich with prospects, even if it has a lot of prospects of a million things that you might do now if you have more time, at, of leisure time. You don't have that much time. And it just makes the, 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 the mix a little bit different. doesn't mean it's not a stage of life that isn't, that isn't workable, because they all are. And... Um, and the same truth that peace is possible wherever we are remains true, and that kindness makes the mind uh, more buoyant wherever we are. It gets a little more complicated uh, the older that we are. I was thinking on the point of uh, that morality not only uh, balances the mind. As, as I heard from my teachers, it would be a good thing to live, lead them. There was about one sentence worth of ethics teaching. The sentence was, it would be a wise thing to lead an ethical life because if you don't, your mind will be upset by remorse and regret and guilt, and then you won't be able to meditate. So the, the direct line was from, it would be a good idea to behave yourself because otherwise you won't be able to meditate, and that's where really the action is in the meditation and the insights that come from it. I think that a life dedicated to the keeping of the precepts would be a remarkably insightful life. If I really, really watched every minute, if I was dedicated to not causing harm to every living, any living being. We started to say this earlier this morning, that the five precepts to not cause harm to any living being. And then the four others, which seem to me all like corollaries or subsets of the first precept. I won't take anything that's not freely given. It means I won't be led astray by my greed or my lust or my impulsive speech or not thoughtful speech. I won't be pulled forward by any kinds of impulsive behavior that I might suddenly be moved to do because I'll be thoughtful about it or I'll be clear-minded about it. Even the last precept, I undertake the precept to abstain from intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness, which I have decided a long time ago I was going to interpret not in the specific way that it often is interpreted 
in, uh, in, in uh, all these texts about staying away from substances that are intoxicating, specifically alcohol. Uh, but I, I think to myself, since for me that's not problematic in my life, but um, uh, maybe, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of something I can tell you in honesty that I won't be embarrassed about. Uh, <laughs> is that serious? Uh, before the election, I watched way too much television. And I watched way too much inflammatory talk, talk, talk shows. And it was not good for my mind. And after the election, I discovered, okay, for whatever we have to say now, but as a few, okay, that went the way I wanted it. Whatever we think about that went the way I wanted it. But I discovered if I walked by my television, it was as if it spoke to me. It said, turn on the television. And not to turn on the television, nothing to turn on anymore. You know, that, that particular fight that I got really uh, intoxicated by is over. I no longer have to check the computer and see whether what, what's going this way or that way. But I find that the mind gets really intoxicated. I think not. I think partially, in that case, egged on by fear about my thoughts about if it isn't this way, it'll be that way, and so partly um, fueled by fear, and partly um, fueled by. Um, uh, there's something entrancing about all that stimuli. I see it now in the texting. Uh, I, I spent the day, when I left early last week, and I, really I apologize for having to run out so precisely just before 11, but twice a year I spend the day at Branson School, and they had an all day. Of, so these are high schoolers, and they had a whole day of uh, uh, interfaith presentations, different people. So here I am as, on a panel as a Buddhist talking about whatever the, the moderator asked, uh, but then spending the whole day teaching three different classes of students loving-kindness meditation um, in, a, in a gym that was cold with them sitting on bleachers um, in a basketball, you know, it's a basketball court. So in between the classes, there's people running in and shooting a few baskets. <laughs> and then they go out, and uh, somebody pushes them out and says, we're having a class here. And here's everybody sitting on these uncomfortable bleachers. <coughs> and uh, I had to look around, I said, could I have a chair? Someone would get me a chair. But they were, they were great. They were great. Uh, they had to say, you don't have to sit in a special way. But maybe just try not leaning on each other. You know, they have leaning on each other. <laughs> you know, because they're, they're, you know, they're adolescents. They have to be touching each other all the time. Just try to sit in your own space, okay? Uh, and try to, teach, try to teach loving kindness meditation. And, and it went all great, by the way. I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to teach. What is the pedagogy of doing this? So you don't want to say praying for people. You don't want to say too many blessings for people. I said, what would you say to people that you really liked if you wanted things to, if you saw them in the morning and you wanted, you know, you, hello, and you really liked them and you want to tell them something good, what would you say? So they say, I hope you pass this exam. I hope you feel good all day, whatever. And so I took back what, you know, I listened to all their things. And I say, okay, so closer idea. Imagine that you're in a room with your best friend, you're next to the best friend, in the same way like in doing metta practice in a normal way. Or you're not in the same room, but you're imagining that person in your mind's eye. Now you're going to send them a text. So I feel that's like, that's like the right, like you send them a text. You know, I, you know, have a great day, see you later, I love you, keep it, you know, keep going, whatever you're going to send. But I just say, you're talking the idiom. But that people got, and they enjoyed it, because it actually is wonderful to bless people and to think about who we love and bring them into our minds and connect with them one way or another. So uh, it was fun for me, by the way. I had to look around and think fast, in a gym. On <laughs> anyway, but here I am. I wanted to make one specific point that I think Cliff is going to, I'm waiting and waiting for the footnote to come into my mind. It hasn't so far. I heard Dan Siegel once say that in, the, in those presentations he did 
of the scales of what changes when people meditate, do mindfulness for a period of time, that a morality, there's a morality scale that gets bigger. Do you, higher? Do you know what I'm talking about? So I don't know that study in particular, but yeah. I know that many aspects of psychological function improve, and we're just publishing a paper about that in the journal Emotion. But what's really interesting is that this positive psychological improvement is predicted by physical improvements in the ability to withhold inappropriate responses mm. on a very low-level task. <coughs> a lot of the teachings are about restraint. Mm. And so we actually have empirical data that connects sort of the development of what we call cognitive control or executive control with a predictive ability to uh, show that improved uh, resilience, less anxiety, less depression, increased openness to new experience, increased agreeableness, increased conscientiousness, decreased neuroticism, decreased attachment anxiety in relations. What does neuroticism mean, by the way? Making mountains out of molehills. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good. That's a very good definition of neuroticism. So this this actually will be online on uh, in the next week or two. This is uh, first author is Baljinder Sadra, who is actually also doing the interviews of, of people in uh, the Shamana Project, qualitative, you know, using the tools of anthropology mm -hmm. to get precisely at what kinds of decisions and ethical choice points mm -hmm. people made in their lives as a function of this training over the last three years. That's very, very interesting. So I don't know, Dan, the, the exact study he's pointing to, yeah. but it, it wouldn't surprise me. We, we are looking at Lovinger's scale of ego development, yeah. but um, we, don't, we don't have data on that. That's why I didn't quote you. That, 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 that sense of, um, of morality, of... Um, of restraint mm -hmm. that I, it, where uh, when you think about what makes people human I think is the ability to feel like doing something and not do it mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you know just as you were saying that it's funny how there's a, just a picture pops into your mind a long 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 time ago there was a uh, Margaret Mead is long dead uh, when she, uh, at one point, she made a film called Four Families. I remember showing it when it was on a real, you know, when you showed a movie that looked like a movie on a projector in the College of Marin in the 19, early 70s when I taught there, so 40 years ago. It was called Four Families, in the, and it, anyway, the college owned it. And it was, uh, it's being replicated. Uh, you see it from time to time, similar studies now. And she had f picked out four families, a Canadian rural family in Sas in, near, in Saskatchewan somewhere, a French rural family, an Indian rural family in India, and um, a, um, a Japanese rural family, all farmers, these four families. And they all had... Uh, two or three children, and they all had one child between six months and a year. <coughs> and in each case, they clearly had taken lots of film of that family, but what gets put together is, um, uh, whatever you call it, a, not a pastiche, but anyway, they put together enough film so that you see the family eating together and feeding the child and bathing the child and putting the child to bed because that's what all everybody feeds and eats and bathes and lies down to sleep to show it in four different cultures and the, there are a lot of things to say about the different cultures and how they were different but there was one tiny scene that stayed in my mind now 50 years and it had to do with the it could have been in any family but it was the Japanese family and had a, a small child and a two-year-old and like a four-year-old maybe that, or a three-year-old, three or four-year-old, that is the little boy that I remember. I see him actually in my, my mind's eye. 
and the mother is doing something, maybe preparing, doing a chore with her back to these three children. The, the, toddler, the baby is sitting, the toddler is toddling, and the very small child, you know, very young child behind. And that very young child is near the baby, and uh, the baby takes something, if it does something anyway, snatches at something, and this child lifts up his hand and starts to do it down as if he's going to hit it, and he's got it halfway down, and he stops. And somehow that gesture just so spoke to me that 50 years later, when you're telling that story, out of the recesses, probably egged on by the fact that I just read um, Catherine Bateson's book on aging. So Catherine Bateson is in my mind. Catherine Bateson is the daughter of Margaret Mead. So I have them in my mind. I've been thinking a little bit about Margaret Mead. And then you said that about the impulse control, so they probably ding, ding, ding lit up all those things together. That's so amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's totally a Google. They don't, you know? It knows how to reach in to get everything from everything. But that business that human beings can do, and some people easier than others. Some people easier than others. Anybody who has had more than one child knows that some people, you, say, you, you tell them, look, we don't do that, and they stop doing that. Other people, it's harder for them to pull it together, to stop doing that. So were they less loved? They just have different physiology. They have different neurology. Why is it more difficult for some people to get it together? But when we do have it together, it's such a protection. Oh, I know what I was going to read to you today. Ha, ha, ha. It would be better if I could tell it, if I can read it to you. Just as our last thing, I can tell it to you, but if I had it here, here we go. This is a, uh, a Jataka tale. This is a, uh, uh, the Jataka tales are stories that have come down over the millennia, actually, that in the, in the Buddhist tradition that are, that purport to be stories of previous lifetimes of the Buddha when the Buddha was um, a great buffalo or a, uh, a, a, a generous bird, or um, but each of those each of these stories make the point about um, even in the stories um, where it's not so clear that the animal in question is the Buddha. The, the, the stories are about animals and people, and the moral of the story is always some fundamental about training the mind. A Oh, it does say that he's an incarnation. A compassionate great ape, a prior incarnation of the Buddha, rescued a man who had fallen into a deep pit in the forest, carrying him to the top on his back. Exhausted, the ape then said, I need to sleep so I'll have the strength to help you find the way out of the forest. You watch over me while I sleep. As he slept, the man, overcome by hunger, thought, I need to kill this ape and eat him. He picked up a huge boulder and threw it with all his might on the sleeping ape. The ape awoke, startled, his eyes filled with tears. You poor man, he said, now you will never be happy. Isn't that really? I love that. I love that. You poor man, now you will never be happy. It'd be a very good thing for me to remember that story when I am in jeopardy of becoming angry at, um, or letting anger fill my mind and stay there. About anybody in the world. You know, these days it's easy to look at the world having so much difficulty. My uh, young cousin that I report about, from the, my young cousin is 30 years old, but he's a young cousin. And he's currently uh, in Libya as a correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. And um, I'm very proud of him that he's a correspondent. I read his byline in the Wall Street Journal. I'm concerned for his health and well-being but also about what's going on in Libya and any place else in the world 
where people have not gotten to the place where they said, let's not do this anymore. It's not good for us, for anybody. So I think about that, um, that particular controlling oneself for the benefit of one's own self, for the benefit of the community, for the benefit of the society, for the benefit of the world, really. For the benefit of one's own happiness. also think all the time that a commitment to um, those three aspects of the Eightfold Path, the wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood, that if we actually had a wholehearted commitment to them, we'd have to be so alert, have to have such a high level of mindfulness and concentration and resolve and understanding about the nature of what causes suffering, that it would really be practicing the whole path, whether or not we sat, ever. That would be the way, uh, the way of the practice of compassion as a spiritual path. And uh, if, you look, if you think about um, beginning to meditate, thinking, I'll meditate so I'll have insight, so I'll have wisdom, which will flower as compassion and be visible as kindness and generosity in all the forms of compassion. You think you could start the other way. I'll do kindness and compassion as a practice from which I'll develop wisdom about these are the things that make people happy. These are the, this is the end of suffering. And from that, I'll see more clearly the suffering in the world. And from that, I'll be more inspired to make a difference in it. I think you could start at either end of that um, equation about what leads to liberation. So, so I won't be here next week. I think that Tony will be here. Tony will be here. That's great. And then I'll be back the week after. So let's sit for a minute. I forgot to say if anyone was here for the first time today. Anybody here? Oh, I'm so glad you came. No? Please come again. See, it's, and you as well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.